Hey, folks, Tom and Keith, and we want to send a big shout-out to the Dunlap Champions Club, which has been the sponsor of Front Row Knowles podcast for some time now. Hopefully during the 2017 season, you got a chance to sample it. I know on the field, the season may not have gone the way you wanted, but uh, off the field, the experience remained top shelf inside the Dunlap Champions Club. Without question, the, the ability to go to a ball game, to, to be inside when it's hot, to have refreshments, food, drink, those types of things. And you and I both, Tom, have talked about, uh, particularly during this semester, school semester, We've been in there for other functions, and certainly many of our listeners uh, should have the opportunity and will have the opportunity to be there for other than football games. If you're a member, you've got that opportunity on Friday nights prior to the game. You can do things on Sunday. It's uh, obviously attached to the University Center Club. Uh, it's a great all-around venue for anything that's going on during the weekend. It was built with 365 days a year function space or functions in mind. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, next year, 2018, Seven home games on the schedule, including Virginia Tech, Florida, and Clemson. Plant that little seed. Now, if you want more info, go to fsuclubseats.com or fsuchampionsclub.com. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Front Row Knowles ACC Tournament Edition. And unfortunately, as you know by now, the news not good today for Florida State. Tom Block with you. Keith Jones joins me from the Big Apple as we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. KJ, 99 times out of 100, if given the opportunity, I would probably choose to be in New York over Tallahassee. But this Today is that one exception because on top of a loss, there's snow all over, and I imagine you're confined to your hotel room. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Tommy, and you are correct. I'm looking out of my window from the sixth floor. I don't know what constitutes a blizzard, but for a redneck from Wildwood, this looks like one. Well, for a redneck from Wildwood, we had a blizzard here in Tallahassee like January 3rd this year <laughs> when we had like a 16th inch of snow hit. All right, it's, we will, it's a little more than that. We will get to all the particulars of today's basketball loss for Florida State. And for those who don't know, and I think most that listen to this show do know, that Florida State fell 82-74 to to Louisville today, its first game in the ACC tournament. So FSU is 20-11. and And we'll start with the obvious, Keith. Do you have concerns about Florida State as it relates to the NCAA tournament? Are you comfortably going to sleep tonight and you're confident and won't even watch the selection show on Sunday? Uh, well, I will definitely watch the selection show because I want to know, uh, obviously, confirming that FSU has made it and then where Dean and I are going. But uh, in answer to your question, uh, when we went down 26, Louisville was up by 26 uh, in the second half. And we went to a commercial break, and I told Gene, I felt very good about FSU's chances of getting in the NCAA tournament prior to tip-off. But at that particular point, having played and shot so poorly, yeah, I had some concerns then. Now, Florida State came back, final margin was eight, uh, very respectable. If you didn't watch the ball game, you just looked at the score, uh, no issues. I still think FSU is in, but... There was a time when they were down by 26 that um, I had my doubt. 
I would also suggest that it's not just that the final score was close. This was not as if they scored two touchdowns in the last minute to make it that way. They made Louisville sweat, so I think there is something to that, the fact that they competed. I've been looking at this all day, and I'm the one whose glass has been half empty, as we've talked about this the last few weeks, Keith, because I have not wanted Florida State to be on the wrong side of the bubble. I don't think that they are. Now, we don't need everybody else in the ACC that is potentially on the bubble to go on a run and make it to the championship game. I do think Florida State is in. That said, it was this very show, very recently, where you were discussing who Florida State might play in its third game in the ACC tournament, and it was me, as I recall, who pointed out that we need not worry about such matters. Uh, You are correct, Mr. Brock, and uh, when I get back home, I will give you a dollar. You won't have a dollar left after you drown your sorrows tonight. But let's let's so let's go to this. How do you fall down by twenty six? I mean, I, I watched the game. What was the difference there? And I know when we talked earlier, making shots, missing shots. There's a little bit more to it than that, though. Well, obviously, uh, Louisville came out in the zone. Florida State has struggled against the zone uh, offensively all year long, and uh, they did not move the ball well. They did not get the ball inside much, and they only shot like twenty nine percent in the first half. So um, I think I think that my bigger question is, how do you come out in the first game of the ACC tournament uh, and play with so little? I won't say it wasn't effort. There was plenty of effort, but there just was no urgency. There was no enthusiasm. There was no sense of, you know, we're now in the last phase of the of the season. We're in tournament play. We got to take it up a notch. And I didn't see that at all in the first half. Now, they did in the second half come out and exhibit some of that, so we know it's there. Uh, But I don't have an answer for why there have been halves and and even two-thirds of a game when Florida State just didn't seem to play with any sense of urgency. That puzzles me and troubles me. And I would suggest it wasn't the first half versus the second half. It literally was the middle 20 minutes of the game today because – to your point, I actually thought Florida State had good energy and emotion early on, right after Savoy hit that three and was going to the line for a chance at a four-point play. It was 17-14 Knowles. They seemed to be excited. Now I'm watching on TV. I'm not there in the arena like you were. but And then it just went south in a hurry. You looked up, and Louisville was on a 20-whatever-to-five run. Well, and, and credit Louisville because at that point, they got that energy and that intensity that, that Florida State was missing. and and played like a team that knew it needed to win this ball game to get off of the bubble and potentially put Louisville in a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. And they certainly took advantage of their opportunity. I want to get to the Terrence Mann conversation here momentarily, but uh, I will remind folks that, uh, you know, if you're not feeling great about Florida State's performance today and, and you tend to solve your stress by perhaps munching on some food or snacking, uh, Sodo in Midtown now opens at 7 a.m. And for five bucks, you can get any item on the menu plus Lucky Goat coffee. So uh, perhaps that's what's in order on your way to the office uh, tomorrow. Uh, we appreciate the folks uh, at uh, For the Table Restaurant Group. We don't talk about Sodo a lot. We're generally talking about Madison Social and everything they have down in College Town. But I just thought I'd throw that out there. Seems like that might be something that could cure our ills. All right. Terrence Mann has gone from being a really good basketball player and significant contributor to being not just a non-factor, Keith, but detrimental. I mean, he was minus 18 when he was on the court today. So what's going on with Terrence Mann from an injury standpoint or or what else is there out there? 
I don't know about an injury. Uh, obviously, Leonard and his uh, crew are very tight-lipped about that. Uh, it took us about two games to figure out that uh, C.J. Walker uh, has got a tendonitis problem in, in one of his knees, and that's why his, his minutes were limited, and, and he was completely ineffective today. Uh, but in relationship to Terrence, I don't have a feel or an answer for that, Tom. I think I think some of it may be that other teams are now paying attention to him, whereas last year, for example, they had to pay attention to Dwayne and Isaac, and and the, you know didn't have to spend as much time and attention paying attention to Terrence. Uh, now he is the focus, and I think the other teams have done a good job of you know taking some of his things away now. In the second half, I thought he played much better and uh, got back to doing the things that, that we're used to seeing him do, but he certainly didn't do it for 40 minutes this afternoon. As a side note, if he and Trent Forrest, and Trent has been playing incredibly well, but needs to develop the outside shot a little bit more, and obviously Terrence needs that, I feel like they need to put up whatever the number is, I don't know, 500 shots a day apiece between now and when next season starts because they could – both of them, and, and Trent really is trending in the right direction, whereas Terrence is trending the wrong direction right now. They could be very, very good basketball players if they rounded out their portfolio with an outside shot. Well, we've seen that and know that it certainly can be done. Just look at Phil Cofer. I mean, he went from being a, a, a poor three-point shooter to being a very good and sometimes even streaky. And I mean, he hit three in a row at one point in the second half. So we know that with effort, uh, that can happen, uh, and and maybe that'll be a, a direction that both of those kids take in the offseason and the summer. If there is a reason to be optimistic, I would say, yeah, Kofer was 3-for-8 on threes. P.J. Savoy has found his stroke. Brian Angola was 2-for-8 overall, but the last two games he's performed better, so hopefully he's passed whatever funk he was in. Would you agree with that sentiment on Brian? Uh, I would. I would. And I think uh, Coach Hamilton made a comment uh, in the post game that you know, <clears throat> pardon me, made me pause for a minute, Tommy. But but we're on the the half full. Things are going to be better mode. When he said that you know if if and when they get into the NCAA tournament, he's not worried about intensity enthusiasm because the kids don't understand you know what's at risk. Well. Why didn't they understand what was at risk today? I mean, how do you, how do you, <coughs> pardon me, so nonchalantly, seemingly turn it on and off? And and, and I, I just would like to see this team play with forty minutes of of of, of some fire in the belly, to use a, a, a crazy term, because when they do play with that intensity, they are a very good basketball. This is two years in a row now that they have not played their best basketball down the stretch. Now, we'll see what happens in the NCAA tournament. Quite frankly, if they get in and they win one game, just if they get in, to me, they've checked the box on what I hope this team would do this year. But if they win one game, they're at the exact same place that last year's team was, and three of those guys are in the NBA right now. So I don't really know how you could find much fault at that point if that's the way it plays out. And I would agree. Uh, I just think that there's an opportunity that I would hate to see, I'd hate to see, you know, uh, uh, be lost, particularly with Angola in his last year. Cooper may get a sixth year under medical, uh, but I would just hate to see the, the upperclassmen leave on that note when there was still that opportunity there where they might could do something. Uh, I, 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 I just hate for that to be how that season, this season, 
unwinds on them. Here's another elephant in the room, Keith, and you and I talked about it briefly earlier today in conversation. This has been off discussed, but Leonard Hamilton built Florida State back up and did it with defense, didn't have guys that were skilled enough to play an offensive game, so they were winning ugly at 54-52. Now that's evolved to being more up-tempo, scoring more points, you've got better skilled players, and a product of of playing at a faster pace and launching some threes is going to be that there's going to be long rebounds and the other team's going to get some runouts or some transition buckets. But what is incredibly disturbing to me is every time you watch Florida State play over the last month, in a half-court defensive set, the other team, through a simple ball reversal, finds a guy open in the corner by six or eight feet. And on the closeout, whoever the Florida State defender is, is launching in the air, almost violating every defensive principle that we saw for years and years under Leonard. And is, it, is it just guys not understanding, not committing to play defense? What, how do you explain being that bad defensively? Because this is not a good defensive team at all. They started out the year uh, with the potential to be very good, uh, but you're right. They have lost uh, the focus. Uh, I don't know uh, all the explanations. I do know that when you're when you're giving up points inside or you're relying particularly on uh, with the youngster and, and Ike Obiagu uh, to, to just rim protect, you have a tendency to, to leave too much cushion on your man. And, you, you know, you're trying to cheat inside to help out on those dribble drive penetrations. And that leads to exactly what you're talking about. You get six or eight feet away from a guy in the corner, they do a quick ball reversal, get the ball to him. You can't get out there quick enough to even get a hand in his face. And everybody shoots the three today, uh, and sometimes they shoot it very, very well. Uh, I, I think it's a mindset, Tommy. I think it's like rebounding. I think it's like... Uh, you know, being disciplined at the plate in baseball, it just has to be a focus, and you have to continually work on it and think about it. <coughs> Pardon me. And and this team, for whatever reason, to use Coach Hamilton's uh, phrase, for whatever reason, they've gotten completely away from it, and it doesn't bode well and doesn't look good. Uh, you're exactly right. Yeah, Louisville shot 62.5% on triples today. and. Yep. It was amazing to me last time I looked at the cumulative season stats, and I don't have them in front of me, that teams were shooting the three about the same percentage that Florida State was making the three, somewhere in the 37% range, because every time I watch of late, it feels like the other team just went 50 or 60% on threes. Well, and and because I, I looked at it, uh, in the 18 ACC games, the regular season games, uh, the opponent shot uh, 41% from free land against Florida State. Right. Yeah, well, that makes more sense because the non-conference schedule was soft and I hadn't looked at the, the conference only. Well, you know what I predicted on this show a week or two ago, Keith. I mean, you know if they're in the tournament who the first opponent will be. <laughs> I, I never did take the time to look that up, but we'll go, we can go ahead and do that. I'll, because we're talking about it again, I'll look it up. It'll be whoever leads the country in three-point shooting or has the player that leads the country or is in the top ten in three-point shooting. That's who FSU will draw. Or, or after the game, will have shot their highest percentage of three-point shots ever in an NCAA tournament game. So let's let, let's go back to where we started this, and we'll get our Seminoles.com insider to weigh in next segment. Did did we tackle Tim, or is it Lane that we've corralled? Who's who's coming up next segment here? Lane, Lane's going to join us uh, in the next segment. Uh, the Lane Hurt, they're, they're both up here, and uh, I told uh, Timmy he could have the day off. Well, he's probably still trying to finesse the conversation we're having and turning it into that extremely uh, decent content that he puts on Seminoles.com. 
I hope he's cleaning up some of his words that he threatened to use earlier. Let's go back to where we started. Are they in or not? Yes. Yes. All right. I, I tend to agree. I think, see, now this this is one of the things that helps Florida State, and you have to root for chalk the rest of the way, but even though Louisville won two out of three head-to-head against FSU this year, I think if you compare bodies of work, FSU is is at least equal and maybe better. But then even after that, you've got Notre Dame and Syracuse, both of whom play tonight and are, and are on the bubble themselves with worth re- worse resumes than Florida State. So, I mean, you've got to be rooting against those two teams, wouldn't you say? Yes, sir. You know, this is an hour talk show, Keith, so if you want to say more than two-word answers, you can feel free to... <laughs> I'm just answering the question. I hear you. All right. We'll regroup. We'll get our Seminoles.com insider, Lane Hurt, fired up on the other side. Continue this uh, basketball conversation. By the way, FSU uh, assistant uh, baseball coach, pitching coach Mike Bell will join us later in the show. We'll talk a little Florida State baseball. So stay with us as it is still early in the hour here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block. Stuck in Tallahassee while Keith Jones is in the middle of a blizzard in New York City. And by his side, or at least nearby, I would assume in the same hotel, but I can't confirm that, but probably in the same borough in Brooklyn would be our Seminoles.com insider. Lane Hurt pinch hitting once again for Tim Linefeld, and I think he is on the line, Lane, as uh, we say hello via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, yes. Uh, Quite the weather we're having up here in New York City, but staying warm inside right now. Yeah, it sounded like uh, the weather just hit as we uh, connected there, but then the phone line cleaned up. So I know Keith is on the line, too, and he, he and I already spent 15 minutes uh, discussing this, sort of breaking down the disaster that was the middle 20 minutes in that game, which unfortunately overshadows more the comeback. But how do you feel right now about Florida State's tournament chances, Lane? I think they're, they're in 100, 100% barring complete and other chaos in other tournaments. Like, you know, BC were to happen to run the table here, get a few more teams in, in other conferences who, are, who weren't supposed to be in making, making big runs. But I think you're looking at a team who won 20 games, a couple of good non-conference wins, 500 in the conference during the regular season, including a win against the top 10 team like UNC, a road win at Louisville, beating Clemson. I don't see a scenario barring complete chaos where Florida State's not in the tournament. I think it's just that we've spent a lot of years on the bubble historically here in the last 10 or 15 or in the Leonard Hamilton era, so we just have this angst going into it. I, I will agree that the resume is better right now than several of those years where really we were on the wrong side of the bubble hoping that uh, you know chalk happened everywhere and by some grace Florida State was was up there when the bracket was unveiled. So I do think the resume is better. The product yeah. – go ahead. I'll let, you, I'll let you respond to that. Yeah, I'd say in, in those years I think Florida State played some – 
really bad non-conference schedules, and there weren't quite as many games in in the ACC. I mean, you've added you've added these teams in, and it's I mean, at this point, it's every year the the, the league is good. So I think I think a lot of those problems that we've had in past years have been alleviated. You make a good point about expanding the conference schedule, I guess, because you're you're replacing on the RPI side, it's two ACC teams instead of two more non-conference games, most mostly against lower RPI teams. In terms of what we're seeing on the court right now, though, other than getting a win and it took a rally at the end against BC, Florida State has not played well down the stretch. So, to put it bluntly, what gives? I don't, I don't know because this is not the same team that that you saw earlier in the year. I think, I think for a lot of the year, two of your best players were Terrence Mann and Brian Angola, and Angola might be coming out of the slump a little bit, but but Terrence has, has really struggled mightily lately, and he, I mean, he's done a lot of things for this team, the way that he attacks the basket and finishes at the rim at that. And brings a lot of energy to the team, and, and right now, you know, he's struggling and slumping, so he's, that's not quite happening. And you know, unfortunately, that seems to kind of affected the the whole team. It, it seems like. What was the post game reaction from the folks that you talked to? And I'm sure you have that up on Seminoles.com. I'll let you explain exactly what is up on Seminoles.com. But I'm just curious if it was a nonchalant, if it was an angry reaction from the team. I mean, how did they handle this? No, the guys were very disappointed. They were, they were very disappointed that 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 stretch in, in the first half and the beginning of the second half happened. That you know the shots weren't falling. Trent Forrest himself was was really upset with himself. Some of his his turnovers in the first half, and he mentioned that specifically. And then you know there there was a little bit of hope in the fact that that yeah we got good shots in the first half and they weren't following and then we got some of the same shots in the second half and they started falling and, and saw the energy and momentum so as disappointed as they were in, in the effort I, I think they were pleased that they were able to come out and, and play as well as they did down the stretch but overwhelmingly the thought was was, was disappointment in, in how things kind of started for them. Tom Block on Front Row Knowles. We're talking with our Seminoles.com insider, Lane Hurd. Keith Jones is uh, on the line as well. I do want to point something out because as we get ready to, I don't think sweat it out is really the term. I, I think we're all in agreement that Florida State's in. So we'll see if uh, if that goes awry, then, then this will change the conversation drastically next week. But a couple of things. One, the committee does not consider how you're playing in your last 10 games or 12 games, and they haven't for some time. There was a period where that factored in, but the fact that FSU hasn't played well down the stretch, in theory, based on their criteria that they're supposed to choose from, that does not play into this. They also have changed, and they now look at quadrant wins instead of wins versus top teams in the RPI, and there's four quadrants. Obviously, I guess that would make sense. And FSU, in in terms of quadrant one wins, and I'll credit Corey Clark here on this one, has six quadrant one wins, which are defined as games at home, wins at home versus teams ranked 1 to 30 in the RPI, neutral site 1 to 50, and road versus 1 to 75. And FSU has six of those wins, which according to Corey, is the sixth most in the country. So that right there is a pretty strong stat uh, that we haven't talked about. And then also, the, the committee is not supposed to factor in conference record at all. So to me... 
Nine and nine in the league feels a lot better than eight and ten, but in theory, the committee is not factoring in any of that when they look at this. I'm not sure how much I buy that, but I'm just throwing that out there in terms of the criteria they're supposed to adhere to. Yeah, they're they're not necessarily looking at conference record, but it happens that nine of those wins that Florida State has came against good to great competition in the ACC. And and you're right, and I think possibly even more importantly is Florida State only has, I would say, one loss that would be considered bad, and that's the one at Wake Forest, and at least that was on the road. But I mean, even the loss to Oklahoma State, while their record isn't great, I think a lot of people would say the Big 12 is the best conference in the country, and they have wins against Kansas and Oklahoma. I think they beat Kansas twice, actually. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. So, yeah, it's it, overall it's a better resume than what it's been. I'm not sure where we find the optimism to think that they can find a switch or flip it, but it really becomes about matchups once you get into the tournament. So what are the plans? Do we even know at this point? Is Florida State gathering as a team to watch the show on Sunday, or how's this going to unfold? I'm sure they'll get together. Traditionally, they've kind of liked to keep things private and make it a, a team-only type event. Well, you know, last year they were out at restaurants and in, in, in Tallahassee. I think there's a lot of excitement because being back in the tournament, and they knew 100 percent that that they were in. So my guess is they'll kind of gather quietly as a team and and, and watch together and and see where they, where they end up. And again, you've heard even in the in the media room, you hear people talking about, oh, Florida State might be in trouble. I really don't think that's the case. Every every Bracketologist has had them kind of solidly in around that nine, that nine spot. I think people tend to get over dramatic this time of year, thinking one win in a conference tournament or one loss in a conference tournament is all of a sudden making or breaking somebody's somebody's uh, bubble. Yeah, Florida. You, State. Lane, you think there's any uh, value if, if Florida State slips a little bit and is actually instead of an eight or a nine, is a ten? Because as a 10, you don't have to play the number one team in the country in game two or the number number one seed in your bracket in game two. Uh, you think that that's just wishful thinking or, or you think uh, that might play in the Florida State's favor? Well, it, it certainly could. If if your goal as a fan and in your thinking is you want Florida State to, to make a long run in the tournament and not think about it as a, as a one-game deal, then, then yes, I think being a 10 or 11 could potentially – set you up in a better situation to make a deeper run into the tournament. While you might get a tougher first-round matchup, if you do end up getting that win and, and pulling that upset, then your, your second round is, is much more manageable. And I think especially in college basketball this year, where I think you have your Virginia and maybe your Villanova, you know, but other than that, everyone, you know, maybe Michigan State's in that tier too, or everyone else is kind of, I think everyone else is pretty beatable, to be honest. There's, there's no dominant, or at least not a pure dominant, uh, team in this tournament this year. That's correct. Lane, yeah, they, they, oh, go ahead, Lane. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to see that there, there's very few teams that I, that I look at that I just absolutely, positively do not want to see uh, on Florida State side of the bracket this year. Well, as long as Florida State's on one side of the bracket one corner of it then then i'll be happy i'm not going to care they they could they could match them up as a they could call them a 16 seed and put them against a one i'd be happy they're in i don't think that's how it'll shake out though uh lane let's get to the important stuff here uh lane hurt our seminoles.com insider today pinch hitting for tim linnefeld 
when I talk to Keith, I know there's snow on the ground. I think the airports are closed. You might be in a situation where you guys are stuck in Brooklyn for, uh, you know, days at this point, maybe. But at least for tonight, what, what's, on the, uh, what's on the menu or the agenda? On the agenda? Well, I mean, I'm originally from Colorado, and I could talk tough, but, I mean, I've lived in Tallahassee since 1999, so I have already ordered my Chinese food, and I am going to sit in and probably watch a little TV. My wife and I enjoy Survivor, so we might uh, text this back is, and forth, This is uh, completely the wrong answer. You're in New York City, Lane. That's where just, I'm just going to cut you off there. I went to a Rangers game yesterday. We went all around downtown. We went everywhere. We walked around. We did up a bunch of sites. We did it all yesterday. And if we have an opportunity tomorrow and the weather's cleared up a little bit before before we leave, then you know what? I'll be out on the town again. All right. That's a better answer than Chinese food that you ordered in and you're watching TV in the hotel room. That's just not Tommy, the real answer is Lane is a, is a daytime guy, not a nighttime guy. So that's how that falls out. Under, understandable. <laughs> And I know for you, uh, you'll venture out of the room all the way down to the hotel bar and, and not any further. So I know that's what's in store for you tonight, KJ. I am not setting foot outside, I can assure you. Let's talk about <laughs> something that the listeners need to know because it's been 18 months, Keith, since you and I had this conversation. There's a really cool bus elevator in that arena in Brooklyn. I mean, do you want to, like, share that story again, Keith? Well, it, 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 it's interesting because I didn't travel with the team this game, but last year... Uh, you literally pull the bus into an elevator. The door closes. You go down, I don't know how far, three or four floors, and you pull out onto what would be a lazy Susan in the middle of your dining room table, and they spin the bus around to where it can back into its appropriate parking space, and you get off the bus and go in the arena. It was the dangest thing I had ever seen. It's like a big, it's like the dish inside your microwave. The bus just drives on it, spins 180, and pulls back on the elevator when you leave. And, frankly, that's the highlight of today, and I wasn't even there, Keith, just thinking back on that experience. (laughs) Hey, Lane, we'll let you get going. I don't want that Chinese food to get cold, all right? Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, enjoy your guys' company. You can catch uh, Lane's... uh, Post-game reports uh, from Brooklyn and the ACC tournament on Seminoles.com right now. Lane Hurt, our Seminoles.com insider. Keith, I will, uh, I'll release you for a few minutes because we're going to talk baseball in this next segment, and then we'll, uh, we'll drag you back away from uh, whatever it is you're doing in Brooklyn in a, in a blizzard uh, as we continue on this edition of Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. It's actually just Tom with you as Keith is uh, still in Brooklyn. Obviously, the men's basketball team loses today in the ACC tournament. He'll rejoin us next segment. I will point out, by the way, that immediately following Front Row Knowles, ACC tournament action is coming up. Notre Dame and Virginia Tech right here. And based on this whole bubble conversation, I think we all need to say uh, go Hokies in that one since Notre Dame is one of those teams on the bubble. But we're going to bounce away from basketball for now and talk baseball. Florida State is off to a terrific start. And uh, we are pleased to welcome back to the program associate head coach and pitching coach for Florida State, Mike Bell. Mike, how are you, sir? 
Doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me. Let me just state for the record that I actually thought thought twice before I went ahead and texted you anyway today because I do realize this is like your only day off in a huge stretch in the middle of baseball season. And I'm tying up <laughs> well, your dinner hour right now, so tell Alicia uh, apologies on my behalf, okay? I, I will, but as she knows and as as my kids know that uh, anything with, with college baseball, once January 1 hits, uh, there's no more days off, that's for sure. So we're we're right in the thick of it, getting ready to start the conference uh, series this weekend. You know, recruiting's in full swing as well with the high school teams playing, the junior college teams playing, and, and we're right in the thick of where we want to be. I, I got over my guilt in a hurry because it's really your fault on this, Mike, because when your staff has an ERA of 2.08 through the first 13 games, it requires that folks like me bug the pitching coach and get him to come on and talk about it. So what are you most pleased about with the start from this talented pitching staff so far? I, I think the biggest thing so far is the fact that, you know, we've contributed team wins and we've given the offense an opportunity um, by putting up zeros early in the ball game with our starting staff. Um, we've been able to get, I think, 12 guys totally, you know, into the ball games as far as getting some of the freshmen acclimated to what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. Um, and we've done it a couple different ways. You know, we had a great come from behind the other night. Um, so getting some guys in some key pressure situations, things that are going to come up not only as we start to, you know, play some interstate rivals, but also with the conference schedule coming up, things that you want to see them be tested. Um, to kind of prepare them, hopefully, for postseason. Let me. There's a lot of names we could get to here, but let's start with the weekend rotation. Obviously, Cole Sands has mm-hmm. always had a great arm, but when you look, and this is true top to bottom as I look at this, when you look at the strikeout to walks, and I have not been out to the stadium a lot to see the team play this year, but yeah. Cole's at 22 strikeouts and four walks. I mean, Carp, uh, yeah. I know he's your, your midweek guy, is 27 and three. Parrish is twenty six and six, and Austin Pollock is seventeen and three. I mean, these guys obviously uh, are throwing strikes and have good command of everything in their arsenal right now. Well, and and that's what you want your starting pitchers, you know, to do. You want them to attack the zone. Um, you know, one thing that you know Cole's tried to really, really work on going into year three here now is, you know, how can I last longer in a game, and how can I, you know, minimize uh, damage early, maximize my pitch count to make sure I'm getting deeper into ball games, getting into the sixth and seventh inning, um, not just being a five and dive and, and then wearing out the bullpen. And these guys are doing a great job of it. They're attacking the strike zone, uh, which we do preach. And then when we get our advantage counts, let's go ahead and expand or put guys away and not just nibble around to where we're working two, two, three, two counts. Let's go ahead and put these guys away in three and four pitches or four and five pitches. And if we happen to get a ground ball or some sort of soft contact within two pitches, it makes it even better. Cole's your Friday night guy. Drew Parrish, uh, obviously solid as as a number two. Baseball Mm -hmm. folks in these parts and big Florida State fans will be familiar with Austin Pollock. Uh, I know he's a local kid, but tell us a little bit about him because he's your Sunday starter right now. And that's that's a pretty pivotal position. I mean, if he keeps doing what he's doing right now, that obviously uh, relieves some pressure on the rest of the arms. It does. It does. And, and, yeah, like you said, everybody knows Cole and Drew after you know last year's run, and and you know we we were all sick to our stomach, and we all hurt inside when we saw Tyler kind of tighten up, and you know the injury he had opening weekend because he was our ace coming back, and he was our heart and soul not only on the mound but just a leader um, by his work ethic, and 
what did that do? It just provided opportunity for an Austin Pollock, um, you know, and what Austin can bring to the table, you know, so far he, he's done what we've asked him to do. Give your team a chance to win. Um, there's a lot of projection there. Um, when I say that, I think he's going to continue to get better and better, not only each and every time he takes step foot on the mound, but season after season, because, he really soaks up a lot of stuff. It's just like soaking it like a sponge. He's learning each and every day that he's out there. You see the strides that he's made from the from the fall to the preseason to even in-game adjustment. And he's even shown a little bit more of the competitive nature um, and really surprised people early on here. He really has, and, and he's just a really a joy to work with. Talking with Florida State pitching coach Mike Bell, FSU off to a terrific start, 13-0 and right now, staff ERA of 2.08. Obviously, you signed some very talented kids, Pollock being one of them. Mm-hmm. With the plethora of guys that you're running out of the pen right now, youngsters too, are you surprised by anything that these guys have done thus far? Or did you see this in fall ball, or did you know that Scalaro was capable of this, or Connor Grady, or, or Van Eyck? Well, I think the biggest thing is you have a collection of guys, whether it's 12, whether it's 15 that you're working with, and they all have talents, or they wouldn't be here. And, and they're all come in different shapes, like different sizes and different ways and different styles. And I think we try to provide the opportunity by preparing them and putting them in the toughest situations possible. So when they're out there, they can succeed. But also, I think we do a great job of not cookie cutting and making them a you know, one-stop shop. This is the only way you can do it. Um, you know, Jonas Scalero is going to pitch totally different than Clayton Kulkowski who's going to pitch totally different than Drew Parrish. And just because Tyler Holton and Austin Pollock came from Lincoln High School, they're two totally different pitchers. So using their strengths, continuing to develop their weaknesses into strengths, but using their strengths collectively as a group is, is I think, really been the name of the game. And, you know, even when Carpey didn't have his best outing uh, the other night against Kansas, I think the biggest inning he has was putting up a zero in the fifth inning to allow us to score a couple runs there in the bottom of the fifth, and then the bullpen did the job. So it's just picking each other up in spots. Let's talk Kobe Johnson here, who's two years removed from Tommy John surgery. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to guess that given the way his velocity's picked up and the numbers he's put up so far, that you guys are somewhere between cautiously optimistic and absolutely giddy. So I'll let you figure out where you you are on that scale. Well – I think the people that know me or have gotten to know me, it's not going to be too high, not going to be too low. And that's how I want these guys to prepare as well. They can't get too excited because they had two shutout innings. They can't think the world's coming to an end because they gave up a three spot in an inning. You take Kobe Johnson, who, as you said, you know, probably the toughest year of his life last year, his draft season. He's got a red shirt, sit out, rehab the whole year with Tommy John. And what the work he put in and the time he put in, not only last spring, but through the summer, and really getting to know his arm and his body again in the fall, it wasn't all pretty. He'll tell you. It, it was tough. And, and even going into the preseason, we really didn't know what we had. But we trusted what we were able to see little bits and pieces of. And I think each and every time he gets back out there, he's seeing it more and more. Um, you know, last night, last hitter he faced, he was up to 94. Uh, I can tell you in our preseasons and stuff, he was more 89, 91, maybe a 92. Um, but you're seeing better command with the baseball. You're seeing um, probably working through maybe some of the mental block of an injury. 
you know, like a running back coming back from a knee surgery, can he really cut? You know, a basketball player, can he really push off of a high ankle sprain? This guy was a 94, 97 mile an hour fastball before he, you know, had the surgery. He's trying to really learn how to drive that Ferrari again and, and really trust it. But uh, it's been really good to see. It's been really good to see. Well, and I know he's leaned on his fastball a lot. How is mm-hmm. he in terms of having the command that you need to see with the off-speed stuff as well? Well, I think I think two things come into play there. Um, and this is some of the cat-mouse game with pitching. You know, you're trying to disrupt timing of the hitters. They know he's got a breaking ball. But if they keep getting a fastball and there's deception behind it, it's one of those things like, I don't want to speed up a barrel. I don't want to do a guy's favor. But he also has the ability, once their timing is there on the fastball, that he can drop the breaking ball in there, and it's got enough shape or enough change of direction or enough change of speed to get some swing and misses. So I believe he had, I think, two last night of his six strikeouts were on curveball. Um, so, the, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fastball-heavy mix. But there's the ability to drop the curveball or change speeds of the changeup in there as well. All right, a question about psychology here for you, Mike. There's that brand-new video board out there, which I know looks terrific. <laughs> yep. And it includes the radar gun on the speed on the pitches to the plate. Now, that's been, Correct. That's been common in a lot of parks, certainly mm-hmm. in minor league. But you're the pitching coach, so are guys snapping their heads back to take a look at that as they're throwing? Are you having to, uh, you know, put, it little, was, put little blinders on them there? How are you handling that? It was already addressed before the season started. We'll be more than happy to share your velocity when the, when the game's over. We don't need you staring around looking at the scoreboard. The only time I need you looking at the scoreboard is to check and see how many outs there are or if you put up a zero after that inning. Um, they're still working some kinks on it, like anything. The board's beautiful. It's been a great addition to the ballpark. I think it brings a lot to the fans' perspective. You know, obviously, the players love it. Um, you know, the velo stuff, some of it's been accurate, I will say. Some of it happens to flare up here and there. And like, any, like anything, you know, they're working through some kinks on it. But our guys know um, it's there. It's not the end of the world. We go to other ballparks where sometimes it's dead on, sometimes, you know, Places are hot, you know, and you can tell. I mean, we know if a guy's normally 92 and all of a sudden it's showing up there 96, it's, that gun's probably a little bit hot. So, Well, I thought, you know, you would just set it to read 101 every time FSU was on the mound and like 88 every time the other guy's pitching. <laughs> that, that's what Cole Sands would like to see. <laughs> he wants the triple digits. <laughs> no. But you know what? The psychology part of it, and that's what I kind of – I'm like, we want the correct balls and strikes. We want the correct outs up there. We want the correct velocity, too, whether it's a hitting perspective of knowing what that guy's throwing over in the other dugout or what our guy's doing from a standpoint of stamina and health. So we need the accurate information, and we're doing everything we can to get it. I'll let you go on this. Tell me a brief scouting report on Wake Forest as you open conference play this weekend. Uh, It's not only playing Wake Forest, but going to play at Wake Forest is what is, is can be and, and will be tricky at times. Um, it's a very hitter-friendly ballpark. I believe last year they hit 106 home runs as a team. Uh, that's a team that won 43 games with one triple, one excuse me, one victory away from going to Omaha. They played down to a final game in the uh, Super Regional against Florida. Uh, it's usually very windy there. Obviously, this weekend uh, we're looking at some some weather elements uh, with some cold, maybe some rain. 
they play hard. They play fast. It's almost like an arena football. That's on the turf. It, it's a different setting. Um, and Tom Walter and his staff have done a great job. They've recruited really well uh, over the last three to four years, and they've really got things going. It's going to be a big test for us. Um, we obviously want to get off to a great start in the league, get things going there. Uh, but we're excited to continue to do and continue to build off of what we're doing. Uh, you know, Drew Mendoza, Cal Raleigh, been swinging the bat really, really well. Uh, we would just want to continue to give quality starts on the front end and let our guys have small pieces to chew coming out of the bullpen and get a couple of victories and get back home to sunny, sunny Tallahassee. Mike, best of luck this weekend and the rest of the season. We'll probably catch up at some point down the line. But congrats on the good start. I know that uh, you know, you're only as good as the next day starting pitcher as the axiom goes, so I hope it continues to go well for you. Well, I do appreciate it and any time. Look forward to seeing you guys out of the ballpark. Thank you, sir. That is Florida State pitching coach, uh, assistant head coach Mike Bell, who's done a terrific job with his staff, obviously. All right, Keith Jones uh, has made it back from the hotel bar to his room, I think, and we're going to get him back on the phone after this, and uh, we'll go back to Brooklyn. hate to bring the show down after we just talk baseball that's unbeaten, but uh, we'll talk a little more hoops and expand the conversation with KJ right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we do appreciate Bob Hobson and his longtime support of this program. Also at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his staff tell them we said hello they'll take care of all your power tool needs they got a couple locations to choose from 1110 stuckey avenue and 3269 crawfordville highway online at ctf.nu or you can call them at 580-1200 on the phone line the earl bacon agency hotline is keith jones once again kj you're back from the bar uh i have not left i've been a good boy good to know mike bell was excellent by the way he sends his regards i do want to take a moment yeah, Mike's Mike's a great guy. I appreciate him joining us for a few minutes. The team will head to Wake Forest tomorrow. Um, before we get back to FSU, I, I do want to mention somebody that uh, that you obviously uh, have known from your association with FSU basketball for a lot of years. I didn't really know him that well, but there was a time early when I was at FSU, I used to call in and give updates. This is long before the Internet, I guess, on the Tar Heel Sports Network. I'd give updates from the FSU football games. And uh, I'm talking about Woody Durham, who was the longtime voice of the Tar Heels. And so I would phone those reports, and it was actually Woody and Mick Mixon. Mick is now the voice of the Carolina football team, uh, professional football team. I'm talking about the Panthers. But Woody passed away today. And so uh, I know that we, we I know Wes much better, uh, one of his sons. Wes is calling two games tonight, lost his dad today, and he's going to call two games tonight at the ACC tournament. So I'll stop there and let you just weigh in because Woody, to, to FSU fans who don't know, he was the Gene Deckerhoff. I mean, Woody was the voice of the Tar Heels. Uh, I don't know how many national championships he called, but, you know, a three- or four-decade voice of, of the college program. He called uh, six national championship games. Four of them they won. Um, he grew up in uh, Carolina, uh, was a Carolina boy. Uh, he uh, got involved about 41 years ago or, or uh, probably 45 four years ago because he's been retired about three years now, maybe four. 
Uh, but he did Carolina athletics for 40 years. And uh, you're right, the best analogy that uh, Florida State faithful could uh, reference is that, it, it, I mean, he was the Gene Deckerhoff of Carolina sports. Um, great guy. Uh, I've met him several times, talked to him. Um, by no means were we friends, but uh, he was an icon and somebody that I looked up to. And anytime I had a chance to listen when, when Sirius XM first started and you could get uh, opponent games on the radio, I would listen to Carolina games just to listen to him. And I, like you, uh, got to know Wes, one of his sons. I've met his other son, Taylor, um, who is the voice of Elon University Athletics. And uh, it's a sad day in the ACC, obviously a sad day for Carolina folks. And, Tommy, it's a sad day for broadcasters because uh, Woody was the throwback. Uh, he had that distinctive voice. You knew who it was as soon as you heard him. Uh, he was totally committed to the Carolina program. And uh, though he's been retired for four or five, however many years it's been now, uh, he is in a much better place. He suffered from a, a disease, Tommy, that uh, its main symptom was it took away your ability to talk. So it took away his ability to communicate. And that thing which he had done for 40 years was the thing that was taken away from him in his illness. And uh, very sad and very uh, uh, tragic uh, in that regard. Uh, but he'll be long remembered and long loved by everyone associated with the ACC. I just want to take a second to mention that. Send my regards to Wes when you see him, obviously. And uh, that is I, a- saw, I saw he and Dan Bonner as they were uh, <laughs> entering the arena as uh, Gene and I were leaving this afternoon. We'll finish by talking about Florida State. The basketball team loses today. Keith, I'm looking at the the tournament bracket here, and we're all in agreement. Lane Hurt was, too. I think most who follow, most on the FSU beat, think FSU is still okay and in the NCAA tournament. I'm looking at this. So you got Virginia Tech and Notre Dame coming up later, and Florida State, and then you have North Carolina and Syracuse. And Florida State was 3-1 and one against those four teams that are playing tonight. And then I look tomorrow at the you know the top four seeds, and Florida State could have beaten Virginia, played them as well as anybody, beat the number four seed in Clemson once, uh, played pretty well against Duke early in the season. They're the two seed. And then split with Miami, who's the number three seed. So I guess as I'm looking at that, what I'm trying to say is I feel a little bit better about the quality of Florida State's resume as, as I sort of let that sink in. You've talked, uh, you've talked yourself into that glass being a little half full, what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm not like you. I'm not worried about who they're going to play the second weekend in the NCAA tournament, but I'm less worried about them showing up on my TV screen on uh, Sunday when the selection show uh, unveils the 64, 68, whatever we call it. Well, I'm glad we were able to help you with that, Tom. I, I consider that a good day then. Listen, we are going to be uh, disjointed or discombobulated again next week because you're going to be on the road somewhere. I'm going to be on spring break. And uh, it may be that Matthew does the show. We don't know how it'll flesh out, but we'll find a way to put together 60 minutes of content. Keith, uh, regards to the Florida State Travel Party. Uh, get home safe. Stay warm in that blizzard. And we'll talk again at some point. Thank you, Tommy. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Folks, thanks for tuning in. I don't think I even have to say cross the fingers. I feel pretty good about Selection Sunday. But uh, we'll find a way to put together a show for you next week somehow, some way. Have a great night, everybody.